Welcome to the Water and Stone podcast. You're listening to episode number 170. Our Sunday worship service for June 28th, 2020 is Meet Challenge. It is the last in the series, Show Your Work. There is no problem that can't be solved when you know who you are. All right, today's scripture is Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? That's another one of those put-it-in-your-pocket pieces of Scripture. It's one of those things when you know you're looking down the barrel of something pretty significant, it's nice to remember. i got to tell you, for me, I usually don't think of it beforehand. Usually that piece of Scripture, Psalm 27, 1, comes up for me after After I realized that it all turned out okay, I'd gotten myself all worked up about something and then realized it wasn't anything at all. It's one of those you could have had a V8 kind of pieces of scripture where you realize, oh, wait a minute, God was here the whole time. I don't know what I was freaking out about. Whom shall I fear? What shall I dread? God's here for me. I want to get better at remembering that piece of scripture first, and I invite you to do the same. Put it on your greatest hits collection of uh, of Bible passages. I love it that it talks about God being your, your light, your inspiration, the thing that at the beginning of the journey that gets you going, that gets that first step out the door. I love it that it also talks about the Lord being your salvation, the thing at the end of the journey when you're about to take a step into something different to make a transition. So at the beginning and at the end and all throughout the middle, the idea that the Lord is a defense. So at the beginning and at the end and all through the journey, you've got the whole continuum of the human experience covered. And so it's a wonderful, beautiful, poetic way of saying, what are you freaking out about? God's here. Did you forget? And I'll be honest, sometimes I forget. Maybe you do too. It's one of those things where it's easy to get caught up in the outer things. It's easy to be faced with things that don't go your way, with challenges, and forget that that God is there all the time. It's a great defense passage, the idea that God is your protection and your salvation and your defense and all of that. And obviously, there's a lot of parts of Scripture that have those kinds of passages in them. It's great stuff. But I want to caution you about something. Do not let those quote-unquote defense passages harden your heart. You know what I mean? It's easy to get into the situation where you think, okay, well, God's got me. I'm on the team of the baddest kid in the schoolyard, and we're going to beat everybody up. And I get sometimes when we're afraid, sometimes when we feel like there are adversaries out there, sometimes when we're loading up for battle and putting a war paint on and all of that, I get the feeling of, here we go, I'm on the side of the big guy. But think about that with me for a minute, because if you have an adversarial consciousness, if you subscribe to what I have called in the past in this series, fortress theology, if you believe that you've got to build walls around your safe places, doesn't that mean you have less safe places. If you believe that God is protecting you against the bad guys, doesn't it mean you need to have bad guys? What I'm trying to tell you is it's wonderful to feel like you're on God's team, but don't let that idea harden your heart. As we've said in past uh, Sunday lessons, the people in Scripture who have hard hearts are the bad guys. You don't want to be that, right? 
I get that it's really comfortable to feel like you are protected. But given the thing that we know, that God is everywhere, given the thing that we know, that our concept of the divine is too big for there to be any boundaries at all, we are talking about a circle of infinite circumference where every point is the center. What are you worried about? And in fact, sometimes that's the problem. The idea that I have to have bad guys in order to feel good about myself leads to more bad guys and less good about myself. We're going to get to the point where we realize that that piece of Scripture, Psalm 27.1, is not what it looks like at first glance. At first glance, it looks like, here we go, I'm on the side of the big bad guys, the big bad good guys. But that's not what it's about at all. This is not a battlefield passage. Instead, the idea, if you really read it, if you really look at it, the idea is, I know that it's all God. Whom shall I fear? Because there's nobody else out there. We're all on the right team. Some people don't know it. Some people don't act like it. But it's still true. We're going to get to the point where we stop needing to have duality in order to figure out who we are. And when that day comes, everything gets easier. We begin to meet challenge when we realize that the only thing that can happen to us is we're going to grow easy way or hard way because the whole time, beginning, middle, end, God is there with us. And so we don't have to worry so much. I recognize that that means looking at things a little bit differently. You ever played Floor is Lava? Not the game show, although I highly recommend it. It's the best worst thing on Netflix right now. But you ever play the actual game when you were a kid where you pretend like the floor is lava and you got to leap from the couch to the chair to the dining room table, hopefully mom's not looking, to get to the other side of the room, that idea? And then there's some other kid, maybe it's your big sister, maybe some other kid, and they walk by and you go, oh, oh you're burning up, the floor is lava. And the kid goes, I was, I was here before, you guys are doing your thing, I'm not... I'm not really doing that. Theologically speaking, that is the role of Jesus Christ and his message in all of this. There's a world where people go, you got to have bad guys and you're burning up and it's all bad and you got to do it the way we do it. And Jesus goes, you know what? I was kind of here before that. It's a little bit of a paraphrase, but really not much of one. I was here before that and that doesn't really apply. You see, there's just God and it's fine. I recognize that feeling that way involves unlearning some stuff. I recognize that feeling that way involves decoding some stuff. I recognize that this represents a new paradigm for a lot of people, but it's worth it. Evangelism might not be what you think it is. Evangelism is a little bit more like being the first person with a fax machine. I need somebody else to have a fax machine so that we can communicate. Otherwise, mine isn't any good. It's a little bit like being the first person with an email address. If I want to talk to you, you got to get one of these email addresses too. Remember when you were excited about email? But the concept is, you know what? I got Gmail. It doesn't matter if you've got Yahoo or whatever. It's okay if people have a different way of doing it. The point is our protocol has to agree. We just have to be able to communicate. That's what evangelism is. The basic idea is I don't need everybody to do it my way. I just need you to do it. I don't need you to do it my way. I just need all of us to agree that we can agree. And there's something really beautiful about getting done with the idea that if it's different, then it's bad. That's what we're talking about. Any challenge you have is only going to make you smarter and stronger 
and better able to change the world when you decide it. That's what we're dealing with today. But you know that. You have an adventurer's heart. You know that there's something amazing that happens when you look at something that's surprising, some new idea when you watch the TED Talk, when you're reading and somebody presents a, face, a BuzzFeed article that says, you're not going to believe point number five is going to change everything you think about slip covers or eggs or whatever it is. And you go, oh, I, just, I never thought of that. And you let it change you. You let it grow you a little bit. We are adventurers at heart, and so we seek out those little moments that change us. We want to be better. And that's beautiful. So what I'm asking you to do is take that feeling that we apply to the little things like the BuzzFeed articles and the social media posts and the thing on the news is kind of a surprising thing. Take that adventurer's feeling and apply it not just to the little things, but apply it to the big things too. That's the test. You know, right around Easter time, we talk about the idea of, of Jesus cleansing the temple and chasing the money changers out and kicking over the tables and all of that. And we kind of love that story because it's Jesus and we love him doing this and saying, no, we're going to make this right. It feels good to, to watch and think and listen and, and feel through that story. Part of the reason that it's so palatable is because we don't really identify with the bad guys at all. I mean, we're on the Jesus team. He's the hero of our story and all of that. It's easy to abstract things out because, you know, we don't live in that time, in that place. It's a million miles away and a million years away, or it might as well be. But take a minute with me. What would it be like if you were one of the money changers? What would it be like if you were a relative of one of the money changers, if somehow or another, a few layers of abstraction out, your livelihood, your way of being, your sense of normal, let's say, depended upon the money changers getting to be money changers. How would you feel about Jesus in that moment? Maybe you're not a bad person, but all of a sudden, this weird guy is kicking over tables and upsetting the way of doing things. Does it make Jesus wrong? Hmm. Interesting. How would you feel about it? How would you feel if you're just trying to go through your life, you're not a bad person, and somebody says, you know what, this machine that keeps you normal, that brings you your food and your shelter and your way of moving through the world, if this mechanism is also hurting people you never knew about, what would that be like? I mean, I can't imagine it, but maybe there's a parallel in modern civilization. You smell that? That's, that's what sarcasm smells like. My point is, the big things. When someone comes in and kicks over the tables in the temple of your life, it doesn't make you a bad person, but it also doesn't mean we need to keep that person quiet because maybe they have a point. It just might be that there are people in your life who you don't get, but you're not supposed to get them. You're supposed to listen to them. And maybe you're not supposed to do things their way, but it might mean that there's a way about your way that could be changed. It might just be that the people who seem the most disruptive are exactly what you need in order to grow. So we're going to be the kind of people who get done with the idea that we're going to silence anybody who disagrees with us. We're going to be the kind of people that seek out the differing opinion and the different way of doing things. This is a big deal. Ask yourself, how do you respond to disruption? How do you respond 
to challenge? How do you respond to new ideas? Do you seek them out or do you run away from them? As you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Facebook, for example, and one of the things that I'm not super excited about Facebook about is because it is designed algorithmically to give you posts that are like you. So you see posts that are in agreement with your political views, your agreement with your worldviews, your nutritional views. You see things that validate the way that you already are. And it's designed that way so when you dip into Facebook, it's just room temperature for you and it feels good and you can go around thinking that everybody thinks like you. And I get, I get that it's comfortable and it feels like a safe space, but on the other hand, there's a lot of other people who feel a lot of other ways and you don't ever get to see that. How do you feel about that? When somebody presents a differing point of view, do you go out of your way to seek out the one piece of evidence that supports your thing when there's 9,900 things that disagree with you? What do you do? Do you work hard to silence the person who disagrees or do you go, wait a minute, maybe there's a reason they're so upset? How do you respond to the stranger? I'm going to say it again. It's very possible that the challenge to your current way of doing and thinking and living is exactly what you need in order to grow. So it might be that we meet challenge with thanksgiving. Now you know that the Judeo-Christian tradition uh, prides itself on its ability to welcome the stranger. Something that we talk about a lot around here because it's really important. It's all throughout the Bible. Remember that part where Jesus says, love your enemies, for example? But that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's, it's everywhere in there. The idea that if someone is different than you, if they're from a different land, if they eat different food, if they think different thoughts, it is your job and it is the test of how ethical your behavior is. If you can welcome that person in, not to make them like you, but to learn from their example that there's something bigger than both of you. Welcoming the stranger makes you an ethical, moral person. It makes you more able to, to be a force for good and change and love in the world. Radical love and outrageous mercy is what we're talking about. So can you welcome the stranger? A long time ago, my son was probably eight or nine, and uh, he was on the swim team. Really good swimmer. He's still a really good swimmer. And I would go watch him swim. And he was fast, and he loved it, and he worked out, and he was just really good at it. And I love watching him because I've never been a good swimmer. I, I, I just can't do it. It's not my thing. But he said, Dad, will you come swim with me? And I'll do anything with him, but this wouldn't have been my first choice. I would have rather we shared a cup of coffee even at eight years old. That would have been a better idea. But So I got my suit on, and I got in the pool, and I almost died almost immediately. Within the first five minutes, I'd lost my bathing suit once or twice and, and inhaled most of the pool. But we swam around and we did the thing and he tried to show me the different strokes that you do and the different ways of doing it. And I was way out of my depth, literally and figuratively. But I thought, I'm in good enough shape. I can do this. But I was getting tired. And we were in this giant pool and no lifeguard because this is a place for serious swimmers, people who know how to do this. And I was not in my right place. And it was just this giant pool with all of those lanes, with those ropes designed to keep people in their lane. You know, you can imagine. And we were swimming back and forth in our lane and back and forth in our lane and back and forth in our lane. And he was watching me and he was standing up on the side so he could see my terrible swimming technique. And he was kind of yelling instructions at me. And I was in the middle of this pool that was way too deep for me to touch the bottom. 
and I realized how tired I was. I knew I couldn't possibly get to the other side. I mean, I was trying. And look, I'm a little bit dramatic. The thought crossed my mind that, you know what, I think I could die. This could be it. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, first of all, I wanted to be macho from my son. But also, on another level, I thought, you know, if he tries to save me, I weigh way more than him, and he's not a trained lifeguard or whatever, I could take him out too. Don't want to do that. I don't know what I'm going to do. I start mentally preparing what my funeral's going to look like almost immediately. Like I said, a little dramatic. But I was in some measure of trouble. I was trying, but I wasn't going to make it. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And maybe you haven't had that moment, but I bet you've had moments like that. And in my moment, my son, who was watching me, said, Dad, there's a rope right next to you. You can grab the rope. And I did. And I know, spoilers, but I'm alive. It worked out. And here's my point. My point is that the things that you think are there to keep you apart from other people are exactly what you need to stay alive. The things that you think are there to, to be a healthy barrier are actually a life-saving tool. What I want you to do is rely on those differences, lean into the idea, welcome the stranger, because that is exactly what you need. Look, here's the deal. God is way too big to fit between your ears. We are talking about infinity, right? There is no way to comprehend all of this. You can't memorize God. You can't encapsulate God in a prayer or in a book or in a building. It doesn't work that way. God is way too big. The divine is way too big. All we can know about God really is what we experience in these little miracle moments, big and small. Become the kind of person who leans into those moments, who collects miracle stories, big and small. But it makes me think of the story of the, the blind man and the elephant. You know the story? You probably heard it in, you know, kindergarten or whatever. The idea that, that there's this elephant and that there's, there's this number of, of people who cannot see. And each person experiences the elephant differently. One man touches the side of the elephant and he says, I think that an elephant is like a wall. And he's kind of right, but not completely right. And another guy has the tail, and he says, I think an elephant is like a rope. And he's kind of right, but not completely right. And the guy has the trunk, and he says, I think an elephant is like a snake. And he's kind of right, but not completely right. And another guy feels the leg of the elephant, and he says, I think an elephant is like a tree. And he's kind of right, but not completely right. Right? You've heard the story before. And the point of the story is that we need to communicate. The point of the story is that each of us has just a tiny little piece of what reality is, and it's our job to not be the only voice in the room. So ask yourself, when I think about my friends and my family and my social network profiles and the, the kind of ideas that I let into my life and my mind, do I only hang out with tree trunk people? You know what I mean? I mean, think about it. Is that the basis of friendship for you? Do you surround yourself with people who agree with you no matter what, and that's it? Because you're missing a whole lot of elephant. More to the point, you're missing a whole lot of God. There are different ways of approaching this proposition. 
of the divine. There are different ideas. There are people who disagree with you, who you might look down on, but remember whatever you do to the least of these, right? What if they are your teachers? Teachers. That's an important word because a minute ago we talked about the idea that aggression towards the other is not awesome, theologically speaking. But there's something that might even be worse than that. And it goes like this. Well-meaning, well-intentioned, and I forgive you if you do this, but please don't do it anymore. This is a sentence, one of my pet peeve sentences. When someone goes, you know, all religions say the same thing. They're trying to be nice, but that's really not true, is it? I mean, think about how many wars have been fought over religious disagreements. Think about how many religions think that other religions are going to burn. There are so many different ideas. All religions do not say the same thing at all. It's a little bit like saying all restaurants are doing the same thing. Well, no, they're not. They all serve food. But those differences are kind of important when you want hot dogs and somebody else wants spaghetti. you got to lean into the differences so that you can get the part that's good. It's like that. And sometimes when people say all religions say the same thing, what they really are saying is all religions say what I already believe. And so it's a little bit of a superiority thing. It feels a little bit like an appropriation thing, and it doesn't feel healthy because it doesn't feel like growing. Let's be the kind of people who recognize that, you know what, we don't all say the same thing. Yes, we're all working on the same thing, but we are on different paths towards this one goal, and that's okay, because somebody on a different path can teach you something wonderful about your own. So can you welcome the stranger? Can you be open to that idea? Like I said, are your friends only allowed to be people who agree with you on everything? Because that's a very small definition of friendship. And it's no way to change the world. When our kids started dating, Jenny said to them, and I I echoed because she was right, uh, Jenny said to them, look, we don't care what your partners believe in, really. We don't care how they vote. Although we have strong opinions ourselves, it's going to be all right. We don't care what color they are. We don't care what gender they are. We don't care about any of that stuff. Here's the criteria. Do they make you better? Do they challenge you to be better? That's the question. Maybe when you're looking for a romantic partner, it's not about harmony as much as it's about challenge. Do you inspire each other to grow? Do you give each other the business sometimes? Sometimes I think about that story that I love to tell about the first day that that I met Jenny all those years ago when we were teenagers, and it was definitely a love at first sight kind of a situation. But the thing I don't often say is the first conversation we had in that room as teens in the youth group at church was an argument. (laughs) We disagreed about some stuff about the book Lessons in Truth, and we had a different idea about it, and I knew this was the one. Because we kept each other honest. And together, because of different voices, we found something true that that mattered. Can you be that kind of person? Can you lean into this? Here's the deal. You want a life that works? I want you to get out of comfort brain and into hero's heart. It's not about being safe because that Bible passage from today is all about saying, look, you don't have to worry about safety. God's got this and God's got you. It is time for you to lean into adventure. The title today is Meet Challenge. 
Because this isn't just about other people. This is about when life throws you a curveball, when you get the flat tire, when it doesn't work out, when somebody's sick, when the money's not there that you thought was going to be there. It applies in the same way that it applies when you meet people who disagree with you. When life doesn't seem to agree with you, it is trying to teach you something. Let us be the kind of people who run towards the challenge with open hearts and open minds and maybe some questions instead of with our shields up. This isn't Star Trek. It's called meat challenge. So I want you to think about challenge in the way that you would meet another person. How do you introduce yourself? What do you have to say? You can say, hey, I'm a tree trunk person and here's what I think, but what are you? Are you a rope person? Talk to me about that. Meet challenge like you meet other people. Understand who you are and let life tell you what it is. Because I'm here to tell you that if it is challenging, it is exactly what you need. So you know what? No more cocoon church. No more church as this insulated place where everybody just sits around and agrees with each other. We want challenge and we want questions. I think too often churches, and especially now that we're just watching each other on our laptops or whatever, church is just somebody telling you, it's okay. You know what? Sometimes things in the world need to be fixed. Sometimes tables need to be kicked over. Let's be the kind of people who can deal with it when it's not okay. Because even when it's not okay, there's a lesson there that it's time to face instead of ignoring. Can you face these things? Does your church embolden you to face the unknown, to step out of your comfort zone with courage? After all, I mean, I know people talk about self-care, but what is self-care? Is self-care just retreating beyond a, a, a pile of live, laugh, love signs? Is that the secret to the whole thing, is just protecting ourselves? Because that doesn't care for you. Your heart atrophies when it doesn't have anything to do. Self-care means getting out there and exercising those muscles. So look, no more cocooning. No more retreats into things that are just familiar. No more technologies like Facebook or whatever that preserve my own status quo. No more aggression against people who are different than you because they are your teachers. And that feeling of aggression you have when your challenge is just your adventurer's heart looking for adventure, it's just channeled the wrong place. It's time to lean into something. God's got you, so there's nothing to fear. How do we meet challenge? We meet it with thanksgiving because nothing can hurt the truth about you. And when you know that, and when you let go of everything else, you find freedom. And after all, freedom is a choice. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do, based on what you've heard, can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube or you can watch the videos. Come join us in person, our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.